Hi everyone, welcome back to Highly Inspired. I'm Ella. And I'm Jordan. Hi guys, we're in a new setup um, and this week we're going to be talking about medical loops, which is kind of a term that Jordan and I coined uh, probably about, what, a year or so ago? Mm -hmm. Yeah, we've been wanting to do this episode for a while, but um, I don't know, things got in the way. We knew that it was sort of jam-packed with a lot of sub- topics that revolve around healthcare and taking care of yourself and how to optimally take care of yourself. So we wanted to do it justice and really um, think on and do do some research, at least a little bit more than we had before. So yeah, we are very excited to be finally tackling it. Yeah, it's a, it's a hefty one. And for me, I mean, for me, what a medical loop means is when you have like one medical intervention that is meant to improve like a health problem that you're having or some sort of issue, but it only really provides a temporary Band-Aid fix. And then that just keeps leading to more and more health issues that require more and more interventions. So there's plenty of examples of this that I'm sure you've experienced that we've experienced where, you know, you get prescribed maybe Accutane and then you're on birth control because you can't get pregnant when you're on Accutane because then your child will be deformed and then you're on birth control and then you have to be on antidepressants and then your hormones are all out of whack. So I think that um, Jordan and I, you know, that's just one example, but there's plenty of examples of this and it really goes back to like the history of where modern medicine came from, why we treat things the way that we do as opposed to maybe some more um, natural alternatives. And then it comes, Mm -hmm. I think, mainly back to money. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, the example you just panned out was a prime example of being in this health, sorry, prescription sort of loop where you're, um, increasing in the amount of prescriptions you're taking because of the prescriptions you had, had been taking. Um, but it also can sort of, uh, manifest in other ways too. Like say you're constantly going back to the doctor and they're constantly prescribing the same thing again. Say you have, um, a series of sinus infections and you keep going back to the doctor and they just are prescribing you a Z-pack every time. And it's not actually solving the reason why you're getting all of these sinus infections. Um, yeah, the, the Z-pack will work and it'll give you that temporary fix. But then three months down the road, you're back in the office again with another one. And it, there's not that wheels turning in their heads of trying to figure out other solutions. And I think that that's just a um, symptom of how the healthcare industry is set up right now and how they're training these doctors. They're training them to um, have this systemized approach that is approved from, you know, top down. It's a very top down type of industry right now. So um, we just want to shed light and ask some questions to help you guys as listeners think about, you know, some of these some of these aspects of how our healthcare industry is functioning so we can maybe try to, you know, wake people up to getting out of these loops because I think the goal is to people. help people exit these loops as much as possible and successfully. And I, I really think, and Ellen and I can attest because we've had our own personal similar experiences over the years, um, we have been able to exit certain loops and haven't gone back. So once you can kind of do that and start being proactive as opposed to reactive, you might not have to go back and then you're going to save more money and then you're going to feel better. Save more time too. And more time. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, No, for sure. And I think that before we get into some of the examples that we have and some of the specific things that are like in our water, in our food, in our agriculture, in our 
even cutting boards in our <laughs> food production, everything. Um, the medicine that we take, uh, I think that we want to talk about history of medicine specifically in America and then more broadly Western countries and why we do the things that we do, why doctors learn the things that they learn. Because obviously a lot of people, I think they go into healthcare with, like you said, the right intentions. I think that a lot of people who want to be doctors, they want to help people. They want to heal. They want to um, make the world a better place. Um, it usually comes from some sort of uh, motivation to serve, I would say, mm-hmm. um, but which is prob- admirable. Yeah. Which is, I mean, I respect that so much and I, I want people to be able to do that. But, um, you know, I was at, for example, I was at a wedding a few weeks ago and I met a ton of people that were med students. And I just, you know, where, when we went to, where we went to college, it was more of a liberal arts school and a business school. So we didn't really have a lot of friends that were pre-med or going mm-hmm. on to med school or kind of more in, in, institutions like a lot of our friends didn't even go to graduate school after school and so I was kind of around like a different type of person my age and I noticed um in some of the conversations that I had that even though these people were like super smart and they're in these like intense medical programs like they weren't really questioning the certain things they were saying like they were just accepting and they weren't questioning okay why is that happening and Mm. one of the the things I heard was, um, someone who was training to become like a cancer doctor who wanted to be an anesthesiologist. He was like, there's a huge spike in cancer, um, patients. And his response to that was just like, I don't know why that is, why that's happening all of a sudden. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't know why it keeps growing every year, but I just want to be a cancer doctor and like treat people. And mm-hmm. it's like, okay, but why, do people need treatment in the first place? You know, Mm. um, like how can we prevent people from getting to the point where they get a diagnosis and their only option is chemo Mm -hmm. or those three options that you have to treat it? What's interesting is the reason why he probably added that extra context was to help support his, um, explanation of why he's wanting to go into this, which I, I totally get, Mm -hmm. but he's missing the most foundational level, which are the questions and the curiosity to why those are even happening. Mm-hmm. So, okay, yeah, they're there. Th- that data is there. So this is why he's trying to pursue that. But I feel like he's, yeah, he's he's missing out on that base layer, which yeah. is um, investigating why that's happening. Yes. And he should Im- implement that into, you know, those conversation moments more so that it even adds more, I guess, emphasis into why it's needed for someone like him to go into that area. For sure, for sure. And I think, so Jordan and I did a little bit of research into the history of our medicine program and like what is happening, like why we are where we're at today and everything, of course, it went back to the Rockefellers, which we've talked (laughs) about. Per usual. (laughs) We've talked about, uh, I think we've talked about briefly the Rockefellers before and obviously we've done several episodes of like elite, break talking about elite groups of people, whether that's like the who or the world economic forum or the Bill Gates foundation, things like this. But this, this was the the first family, the first Mm -hmm. real elite multi-billion dollar Mm -hmm. family that existed in history. Yeah. I heard someone say that even Elon for as wealthy as he is right now, Mm. still, I mean, because of inflammation, everything Rockefeller was wealthier at mm. the time compared to because of inflation. Exactly. Mm. Okay. So, yeah. So it's, it's interesting. And basically Jordan and I did some research. We read some articles. Um, we watched some different videos and what it comes 
down to is that um, the Rockefellers, you know, they're in petroleum and they see this opportunity to get into medicine and make money off of plastics, things like that, this mm-hmm. whole new industry. And at this time, the turn of the century, people were just starting to figure out what deficiencies were and that, oh, if you're deficient in vitamin B, it causes this. Or if you're deficient in vitamin C, it causes this. And we were just starting to really like connect the dots with all this stuff. And prior to that, we had been just using like herbal medication. And so what Rockefeller said was, okay, let's stop. Let's pause how we've always done medicine and Mm. let's create a whole new system that's like revolutionary. Mm. And then he used the media to like discredit the naturopaths and what doctors had been practicing before Mm -hmm. him. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So basically when the medicine was being distributed with this petroleum, it I mean, I guess what they were saying is studies then proved that cancer rates were increasing. Yeah. And so what did he then go and do? He created the American Cancer Society, which then put out all this propaganda stating that their medicine had nothing to do with the cancer rates increasing. Yeah. And so it was all to just sort of subvert attention away from what their scheme actually was. And that's really smart, I guess, from a marketing and you know, money media yeah. point of view, and yeah, they made a ton of money. Yeah. So, but I, I had never known that. I mean, I, I knew a bit of Rockefeller before, but I did not know that that medicinal ploy was a part of his whole monopoly. Yeah, like, we. It's something you never learn about in your average history class. Um, no. Should we play a li- little bit of yep. the video? Okay. Around the same time that John D. Rockefeller seized U.S. media, he also hijacked U.S. medicine. When it was discovered that drugs could be produced from petroleum, America's top oil mogul ordered his army of propagandists to invert reality accordingly. Medicines used for thousands of years were suddenly classified as alternative, while the new, petroleum-based, highly addictive, and patentable drugs were declared the gold standard. After buying a German pharmaceutical company that manufactured chemicals of war for Adolf Hitler, Rockefeller leveraged his political influence by pressing Congress to declare natural healing modalities unscientific quackery. Rockefeller then took control of the American Medical Association and began offering massive grants to top medical schools under the mandate that only his approved curriculum be taught. Any mention of the healing powers of herbs, plants, and diet was erased from most medical textbooks. Doctors and professors who objected to Rockefeller's plan were crucified by the media, removed from the AMA, and stripped of their license to teach and practice medicine. Those who dared to speak out were arrested and jailed. When evidence began to emerge that petroleum-based medicines were causing cancer, Mr. Rockefeller founded the American Cancer Society through which he suppressed that information. John D. Rockefeller is duly credited as the founder of the pharmaceutical industry and the reason that medical error is currently the third leading cause of death in America. Okay, so that kind of... Scary. It's so scary. Um, something that popped out to me again from that video was the patent thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and the fact that, you know, before petroleum based medicine, um, and herbs 
were free. I mean, this was stuff you could heal people with things that grew from the ground, and, uh, and you could grow them. You didn't you could, have to yeah, you didn't order have, anything. You didn't have to buy it from the store. You yeah. could make it at home. Yeah, or um, you could fix things with diet. And I think it's important to note that you know, there was a period where maybe this knowledge hadn't been discovered because if you, if you're going back in history, we didn't know everything that we know about the earth at one point in time and it, it continued to grow. So we had finally reached this peak of understanding our bodies and understanding what we could use on this earth to Mm. heal us. Um, and I'm not saying that at some point people didn't think like oh they people try to put leeches on people to try to heal them like mm-hmm. 300 years ago so i'm not saying that we have always had everything figured out but it's been this linear process of using the resources that are available to us to try to heal us mm-hmm. and he completely stops that because there's no ownership there and most people like all the pharmaceutical the entire pharmaceutical industry they make money off of the patent that's why generic drugs are cheaper than the new form of the drug because it's the patents expired and anyone can have access to that recipe to make it and it's not that complicated so that makes sense why he did everything that he did no oh for sure and to your point of just talking about having explored all of the resources that earth has i mean think about how by the 1800s, 1900s, we, we've explored all land mass at this mm-hmm. point to our knowledge, especially now that we have satellite technology, we can see all basic inches the of earth the earth flat. and yeah. we've, we've on foot explored most areas of it too. So we're not coming across new plants all that often that could maybe have new, you know, healing properties that we haven't tested yet. So, um, I would, I would, I would expect that or suspect that comparing now to a hundred years ago, it hasn't increased all that much in in terms of what what we've explored and tested. Exactly. And I think that what's also, um, interesting to know is that, um, at this time, like it's honestly, the end of this video is giving me flashbacks to what we dealt with, with COVID and what certain doctors like, uh, uh, Peter McCullough and, and Malone and stuff like this, like what they dealt mm. with where they started giving alternative options to heal COVID, mm. um, to treat COVID and they were being shut down mm. and having their medical license being threatened. Mm-hmm. And a lot of healthcare providers hadn't experienced that before within the pharmaceutical realm because, you know, doctors were being prescribed ivermectin and other types of medicines to people. And the pharma, the pharmacies were shutting it down and saying, we will not give this to people. And they don't really, the pharmacies don't really have that right to do that. And so what I'm feeling is that that is like the next step further to to this top down, which this top down a hundred years ago, 150 years ago was, okay, you can't, you can't do any alternative medicine. And now it's, you can't do farm, the pharmaceuticals unless it's a pharmaceutical thing that we agree with. So mm-hmm. we only agree with the vaccine. We don't agree with these other drugs that exist. Mm-hmm. So it's, so it's not a- even all pharmaceuticals. It's very specific, specific. pharmaceuticals. Yeah. Yeah. Oh gosh. Which is like <laughs> that makes it worse yeah, for sure. It's just crazy. Yeah. Um, I mean, he stayed in there like back then. If anyone were, was speaking out against these patents that Rockefeller had, they were arrested and jailed. Did doctors? Yeah, that? doctors that weren't treating according to the petroleum-based 
medicine that were doing the old fashioned way were jailed mm. and shut down. Well, and then to our knowledge, that isn't happening right now, correct? I mean, you know, Robert Malone wasn't jailed for speaking so, out against the vaccine. However, being deplatformed mm-hmm. and, you know, stripped of all of your credibility and social, socially ostracized or your license and lose your license. I mean, that, that's like kind of equivalent and there's multiple of those. So yeah. Um, it wasn't like there was nothing that was done because of it. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think that that to me, I think that, I mean, when we were growing up, I remember being told like, like if you question vaccines or if you questioned antidepressants or if you questioned any sort of approach that is considered standard like you were considered like weird or a hippie Mm -hmm. you know like that was kind of throughout our educational process like we never were exposed to this type of stuff like people thought of herbs and supplements as kind of in diet fixing things with diet as hokey Mm-hmm. at least that's kind of how and I was yeah or it w- would take forever like okay yeah you could do that but it'll take forever yes. and it might not work and by the time mm. forever hits maybe you're you, dead <laughs> exactly so um and actually that is correct in some you know cases of treatment sometimes mm. more holistic and you know herbal on the ground type of ways of treating whether it's from a doctor or you doing to yourself it can take a while um so it's it's different, you know, case by case. But I have a question. Were you were you a pill kid? Like did you ever have a couple years where you like did not want to take pills? No, I I couldn't take pills. I didn't I Cuz it took me a couple years and I don't really know what it was. I like couldn't they they scared me them. and I couldn't swallow it. I couldn't swallow them until I was like 17 or 18. And even like an Advil, I used to have to put it in a banana mm-hmm. and like, like chop it up. Yeah, like I'm a dog or something. But like dogs <laughs> don't want to take pills. Yeah. Babies. I kids. wonder if there's like a real psychological reasoning that makes it harder for us to learn to swallow something like that. Mm. Interesting. Like I never there, thought about there that. There could be like an evolutionary thing that is happening in our brains saying this is a foreign object. This shouldn't be do. This shouldn't go down there. Like this well, isn't a, lot a of natural. Pills are this, like wrapped in plastic like I mean to get it in that form it's not natural for it to be yeah all together well think of other animal species like our our animals picking up pebbles or picking up you know solid very dense objects and swallowing them whole no no and do we do that with anything else Mm -hmm. no so why we're told to do it with pills I'm not really sure but um, yeah, I grew out of it too at some point. Like I obviously can swallow pills now, but um, I just think that that's interesting that yeah. for, and I'm sure a lot of young people can relate at some point in time. Maybe you were kind of afraid of doing that. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And um, I think too, something that for me is just, I don't know, like stresses me out about this whole thing is I, well, I think that there's so much stuff, and this is where I think we can start talking about, like, the food and the water and all that, mm-hmm. plastics that, like, we're exposed to every day. I think that what you were saying where we're kind of conditioned, well, okay, like, yeah, maybe you can do alternative medicine, even though it was the original type of medicine, mm-hmm. but it might take a really long time. What we don't 
we, what we are told is that some of this stuff might not work or it might work, but it might be temporary. I mean, even when you and I were looking temporary. at the IVF stuff or it might work, but it might lead to something else. So we aren't being told. Or like, it might full, feel like it's working, but it's actually creating a, a bigger black mm, hole of problems that are so underlying that it's going to come back and bite you in the ass really hard later. It's only suppressing this, the symptoms. Like, mm. okay, birth control pills. Um, you aren't even getting your real period the whole time that you're on it. It's a mm. synthetic period. But it looks like a period, so a lot of people don't know that. And they don't know that like everything's being suppressed or something might not work or it might lead to another issue. So I feel mm. like when we talk about treatment issues. I mean, when you go to a doctor's office, they prescribe you something so fast. Like th there's no explanation of like the full yeah. story. Oh, I've been into doctor's offices. I had this one ear, nose and throat doctor when I was on my road of figuring out, you know, some sinus allergies that I was having. And I had a lot of just sinus inflammation. It was super irritating for like several years. I'd go back and back. And every single time I saw him, it was like a five minute appointment. I'd wait in the waiting room for 40 minutes and then by the time I got in there, I mean, five minutes later, I had the prescription paper in my hand and I was out walking to the front desk. And I'm just sitting there thinking, I could do this. Like I could make, uh, you know, 200K salary to write on a piece of paper and send my patients out the door. Like that's, that's easy, right? Like what critical thinking skills are involved? I think that for sure there are certain doctors that I think are trying and they're They've learned to abide by the, you know, the requirements and the regulations that they have to. And I do think they're trying to come to some sort of blend. But unfortunately, how this whole system is set up with these regulations and with how you you're know, educated with yeah. groups like the World Health Organization and the CDC and the FDA, because of all of these top down massive organizations at the top, I mean, little fish can only do so much. They cannot get paid and comply at the same time and, you know, try to be creative. There's like zero room for them to be creative. Like that yeah. one video said that we were listening to earlier where, um, what was she saying about how you can, a doctor, a cancer doctor cannot prescribe or treat in any other way that isn't chemotherapy. It must be chemotherapy. And that, that's I think there were three by, things required that you by law with, and it's by law. And one of them was chemo. And then I forgot the other two, but yeah, yeah. there's only, and something too, that you brought up that I think we should talk about right now too, is like how specialized medicine has gotten mm -hmm. and how, um, different types of doctors, you know, aren't talking to each other. Um, no. so it's kind of like you have this ecosystem where everyone's in their own silos, no one's talking to each other. And so, um, discoveries are getting missed. Creative solutions are getting missed. Um, and I think that we're conditioned to think of doctors as very, everything's very black and white when actually healing is such a gray, area everybody's body's different everybody's reaction to things are different yeah yes there's things that are across the board somewhat consistent but like even the brain like we don't even have any we're so far behind for uh, from understanding the brain mm -hmm. so i think we are afraid to admit that there's a lot of stuff that we don't know and there's a lot of things that actually need to have a little bit of trial and error and 
take a little bit longer to figure out Mm -hmm. and be more creative and also not be so like specialized, you know, for sure. Like think of, say we catch a virus and there's multiple symptoms that we're seeing because we are sick with that virus, i.e., you know, you got a sore throat, but then you also have sinus issues, mm-hmm. but then you also feel just really fatigued. You might have a headache. Like these are several, yeah. it's affecting several different portions of the body. When you go to your general physician, say they're looking at everything holistically, but with everything else, we've got dermatologists that are only looking at your skin. We've got neurologists that are only looking at the brain. We've got ear, nose, and throat doctors that only look at these specific parts of the body and they're prescribing drugs and treatments that are only targeting that one area. And unfortunately, sometimes depending on what the medication or treatment is, that could route energy towards there and, and create like a Band-Aid fix for that and then detract from another part. Um, so I'm trying to think of an example. Um, well, I'll th- yeah, the, for example, okay, um, epidemiologists. So people that are like viral disease doctors and researchers. Mm -hmm. So when COVID happened, they were only focused on COVID and like, how do we fix COVID? And so when they were developing the vaccines, Mm -hmm. maybe they should have brought other people into the fold when they were doing that research. Maybe they should have brought in OBGYNs that could see, oh, how does this affect fertility? Maybe they should have brought in um, heart doctors. How does this affect the heart? No, Mm -hmm. but they just focused on how does this fix COVID and didn't even really fix COVID. So like- (laughs) they failed at that (laughs) but do you get what i'm saying like yeah that's a great example happens i mean obviously that's more of a preventative but it happens with treatment as well where there isn't you know that like cross collaboration Mm -hmm. um or a dietitian like you know if you're having um something that is you know if you're having something that a lot of issues are caused by uh, inflammatory problems that are going in the wrong place and Mm -hmm. usually that ties back to diet. So maybe your doctor should loop in a dietitian to be part of your team solving the problem. It's almost like you need a team of different mm. opinions and different sources to like try multiple different approaches. You I know? think that would be a good solution because as we know, we're still learning information about our biology and unfortunately the human brain does not have the retention capacity to remember every single thing. So a caveat with say a general physician or someone who looks at, you know, looks at treatment holistically, they might not have the retention to know every single minute detail that say a specialist would because they know everything about, you know, teeth or everything Mm -hmm. about your eye or whatever that is. Um, so there are caveats to both, but I do think maybe a better solution would just be more of that cross collaboration so that we can maximize the specialist knowledge that specialists have, but then also make sure that we're, um, synergizing, at least recognizing all of the elements of the body at once so that we're not neglecting something and then creating a problem. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, I was, I feel, I forgot what it was. I was watching some movie that was like taking place um, during World War One, and it was interesting because I had never like noticed it with these eyes, but um, it, it started to show what was happening in the medical industry then. And it was a younger doctor that was training over these older doctors and he wanted to treat someone 
a different way or no, I think he wanted to, there was like a woman going into labor and they were like pushing back and saying like, Oh, like she's fine. She's fine. She's fine. And like, we need to focus on our other patient that has this elective surgery that's coming in that was Mm. like wealthy or something like that. So they were already starting to kind of do this like selective system. Mm. And also they were starting to do treatments that were, um, like, I think there was one where he was in the operating room and he was like, I don't want to do, I don't want to cut off someone's leg. Like, I think that he'd be, he's going to die either way. So why not just like let him have the leg and not have to do that. And they're like, well, we aren't going to make money if you do that that way. So it was already Mm. start. I'm not explaining this well, but it was already starting to like happen in that time period, which matches up with the Rockefeller stuff. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, When money became the priority and not our overall cultural societal well-being <laughs> yeah and it's hard when money becomes like the forefront um and a lot of this stuff you know like a lot of people are like oh this is like conspiracy but a lot of conspiracies it's really more about money and who has money and who how do they make money and how do they keep that system going i wonder if rockefeller is behind any initiatives to remove health education from schools or from you know, educating people, educating young people, because I also think that these, you know, big pharma stemming from Rockefeller have ridden the wave of people don't know anything about health, which is why they can get away with it. And so it's intimidating to see these big corporations and these big, you know, institutions of scientists and people that have gotten these incredible degrees and, you know, have written several papers and are published all over the place. Like, yeah, that's intimidating. And and they have a lot of acclaim, quote unquote, to their names. But um, yeah, maybe if we all just knew a little bit more or did more on the ground research for ourselves, maybe we could compete with them Mm -hmm. and outsmart them. Because I think they've gotten away with a lot of outsmarting us, and it's it's um, sad. Well, I think it's because we're discur- – I guess this goes back to the generalism versus specialist concept that we are always pushing on this podcast. And it's we're not – we're encouraged to not be generalists. We're encouraged to be specialized in our area. And if it's not medicine, if we aren't a doctor, there's no need to know anything about your health. Like you can just go and find out when you need to find out. You don't have, you don't have to do the work. Someone else will do the work for you. Mm -hmm. And that's very dangerous because that puts you in a place where you just have to trust people blindly and you don't know what to push back on and what, what to accept, what to not accept. Mm. And, um, we don't even know anything about the food that we eat and the water. I mean, we did so much research on water and the fluoride thing. And again, that's another example of specialization versus generalization yes. because the dentist, spe- <laughs> their special, you know, they prioritized, okay, they figured out fluoride can prevent tooth decay. And so they're advocating, let's put more fluoride in the water so that people don't have to do it themselves or that we don't have to do it and people can save money. How much money do they save? Once again, they generalize everybody and 
what, what we figured out now is, is fluoride causes a lot of other internal problems that affect way more key areas of the body, such as, you know, the heart and the brain and like your entire hormone system. I would argue that those are more important systems in the body than, than your teeth. <laughs> yes. But, um, and our water in the U.S. has some of the most fluoride in the world. Like you mm -hmm. go to Europe and there's only a few countries that have fluoride in the water there. Mm -hmm. And I think that this, it's like, I don't even remember even having this debate. Like when did the American public have this debate and be like, okay, what are the pros and cons of having fluoride in our water? Is it better to have, um, save money on what is it? What was it? $32 a year or $32 mm -hmm. a month or something, something stupid, mm -hmm. like a small amount of money on fluoride and for your teeth not decaying or do we want to not have it in the water and decrease the chances of these other issues from happening? We did, they didn't even let us have that discussion and yes. make decisions state by state, whether or not to add it to the water. They just did it willy nilly without consulting with anyone. You're completely right. <laughs> yeah. And I think that the dental industry hijacked it, took advantage of the whole fluoride marketing campaign and, basically made everyone believe that fluoride only had to do with teeth. Mm. Like, right? Like it, say we walked on the street and asked a bunch of random strangers, like, what do you think fluoride is? Where do you find fluoride? I don't everyone would say, Oh, the gel that they put on my teeth when I go to the dentist. Yeah. Like I think people forget that chemicals such as fluoride can be in other places too. Yeah. I.e. water, which is basically probably what we consume the most of. It makes up like 60% of our body weight is water. Like mm -hmm. that is what we can survive on only water. We yeah. can, or, well, at least longer than we can only food. Yeah. So I would argue that water is kind of like the most, it's the most essential thing. And it's something that we don't think about a lot. I mean, I would say that we don't think about diet or food that much, but we at least think about it a little bit more than our water. But I know tons of people that were super, um, even in college, like super healthy, like pretty healthy with what they ate, pretty like aware with what they ate, but literally never changed their Brita all four years or they like <laughs> never changed their water filter. I mean, like even our like roommate, like when it, didn't understand why it was important for us to like get a new water filter all the time mm -hmm. because like if you, the, the tap water in she LA, also didn't wash her dishes at all either which probably could have some health effects if she continued to do that whereas we washed it after her thank gosh but yeah <laughs> <laughs> going back to the LA water yeah, yeah the LA the water tap water was horrible I mean oh my gosh and so if you were drinking that straight or even just like using a, a, a really wonky Brita that's, you know, not that reliable. Um, yeah. It's it, not being filtered at all. Yeah. And I didn't know that like certain water brands, I mean, obviously I knew like Dasanti doesn't taste good, but I didn't realize like, okay, there's a lot of um, even water brands that are like marketed that look fancy and the design's fancy, mm -hmm. but it isn't spring water. Mm -hmm. And when you're buying like bottled, Essentia. yeah, when you're I've buying that. Yeah. bottled water, you want to make sure that if you're going to spend the money, like on a bottle of water, you should buy spring water because it's already bad enough that you're getting the plastic. So you might as well get like good quality water. Yeah, um, that's true. So the plastic thing. So I read a stat the other day that said, 
apparently right now between water bottles and our water and other, you know, plastic bottled drinks, we consume virtually a credit card of micro worth of microplastics a week. It's crazy. I saw that. Yeah. Like consuming, I think like by the mouth. Mm-hmm. Um, we're probably also absorbing it through Fish. the s- skin too because of the air. Mm-hmm. Like say places like LA that have mm-hmm. just this insane pollution because you're breathing that in all the time, that probably contributes as well. But yeah, I think most of it is because of the food and water. Yeah, a big one of it is the fish because of the plastics, microplastics in the ocean. The fish eat it and then we eat the fish. And then another way, honestly, another study that came out was because of the the masks that people were wearing, the non-reusable masks that people were inhaling abistos and microplastics. Wait, so the non-reusable ones, like the cloth ones? The, or the reusable ones? The non-reusable ones that were like the medical ones. Oh, I see. The cheap okay. ones that were like made, the blue ones. Mm-hmm. Um, so it looks like it's a type of fabric, right? Yes. At least it feels like that, but That's, it's actually being manufactured in with yeah. plastic in it. Oh, mm-hmm. that's horrible. I didn't know that. And you're breathing that in all day and you're sweating in it and you're working out in it. Yeah, and think of the people that have to wear it for 12 hours during their work day. Yeah. With no forgiveness from their from their top-down hyper-corporate company that doesn't care about <laughs> treating them humanely. That is awful. Yeah, here. Face masks. <clears throat> um, here's This is a study. Um, face masks as a source of nanoplastics and microplastics in the environment. Um, so this is a, talking about it getting into um, the marine life and... Um, also into human life. Um, yeah, it's like, oh my gosh. That's a loop in itself. It's like the animals consume yeah. these horrible toxins, plastics, pesticides. Then we eat it. Chemicals. And then we eat them. And then it's in us. And then we create new humans that then are birthed with, you know, it's just like yeah, this cycle. Yeah, do they get rid of it? I mean, I would assume if, if you are filled with these things, then you're going to pass it down to... Well, that's what they were saying. Well, we were listening to um, a snippet of a podcast, and there was an OBGYN that was on, and they were explaining about how, um, you know, it isn't just ma- like women's arteries or ovaries that have been affected by... Um, the COVID vaccine. It's also, if you have a baby girl fetus inside of you, her ovaries are also getting affected by the vaccine. Mm. So it's already two generations of people that are having issues. So even if you... That's three. Yeah. It's three generations because it's the mother, her baby, and and then then their... Their reproductive Yeah, exactly. So that was crazy to hear that even if, you know, you have infertility issues, but then you conceive um, that your child could have issues. And then what they were saying about the ultrasounds, that was crazy too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that they were able to tell so much about the health of the placenta that they could basically deduce what type of vaccine they had. Yes. Like from Moderna or Pfizer or when they got it. Mm-hmm. And 
you know, they're, they're able to see all this from the optics of what it looks like. Yeah. That is really insane. But yeah. also kind of awesome that we have the technology to see that. But um, yeah, no, I, I think that just is a testament to the potency of the vaccine. And if we were able to create something as powerful as that, think about all the other vaccines everyone's already had. Or just all the medicine that we have out here. Like what, like you said, how do we know that these medications are only targeting that area without rupturing other problems Mm -hmm. or um, like our modern food, you know? Yeah. Also, (laughs) you ever gotten a prescription and you, you see this, you see the packet in the bag that is like 12 pages thick and mostly all of it is filled with a section that says side effects and the side effects basically cover every possible side effect that you could possibly have. We're so used to seeing that, that it's second nature and we don't think anything of it anymore. Um, but That's we should, I mean, you shouldn't be taking a medication to cure an ear infection and be worrying that you're going to have a heart attack. Yeah. I mean, those are clearly two different areas and for something that seemingly insignificant to potentially have, I mean, obviously they're, they have to create those documents for like legal reasons, but I do think that there are, um, there is basis of why that exists and it's because there are cases of people having these insane side effects from some of these drugs. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I mean, even something like, okay, let's say we learned something new today. So when you freeze your eggs, you, you know, whether you're doing that for IVF or, or yeah, I guess you're doing it for IVF. That'd be the main reason. Um, or you're, you're going through it and you're going to do that later on. Um, but you are injecting a ton of hormones in you before to prep because that's how they extract eggs. But what was that disease that you could get from after the extraction? So the acronym is OHSS. I believe it's ovarian hyperstimulation syndrome. Mm -hmm. This is a syndrome I had no idea what it was before, but basically it has to do with such an excess processing of hormone in the body after this procedure that basically you like your ovaries swell so much that you are dealing with an insane pain and there can be fluid buildup that the only way um, it can be like comfortably reconfigured is to be surgically extracted. And so I think a lot of women that go through these IVF and, you know, egg freezing procedures, they have to load themselves with these hormones. And if they just take it even slightly too far, they're going to endure symptoms of this syndrome and then end up back in the hospital again, having to get another procedure, maybe even a matter of a couple of days or even hours later, extracting like pounds worth of fluid from mm-hmm. their bodies. Mm-hmm. I mean, that just seems like such a fine line. And um, that sounds terrifying. I didn't even know this was a thing until we saw it, came across it earlier. But um, yeah, yeah, because you're not, you know, and how many... And a lot of women, we were reading different, I was reading different testimonies, and a lot of women that signed up for these procedures, they had no idea of the health health risks that they were signing up for. They had no idea that this syndrome, what could, is a huge, you have a huge chance of having that and having a second surgery, which people have described as more painful than brain surgery. Mm-hmm. The, and, and literally the recovery was you were out of commission for five days, mm. not being able to breathe. I mean, this is not some 
run-in-the-mill yeah. surgery. This isn't like, oh, you, you had to deal with some extra period cramps for a day or so after your egg freezing procedure. Yeah. This is like you had someone had to go back in and use devices to, Extract. you know, remove fluid that shouldn't be there because your hormones are that out of whack. Yeah. Like I cannot, I'm, and I'm sure there are a lot of other lingering side effects, weight gain, depression, don't overall hormone imbalances because of how much trauma you've put your body through. Mm-hmm. And all of that is self-inflicted because you signed up to do this, you know, procedure that like, it's basically you're being punished for playing God. Mm-hmm. You tried to, do this method of, you know, freezing your eggs, trying to preserve them for whatever purpose. And in turn, like there's no way that you can come off clean. You can't escape that scenario clean without any sort of, I don't want to use the word punishment, but any sort of repercussion repercussion. Yes. Yeah. I think that you bring up a great point. And one of the videos that we watched with the Rockefeller thing, it also said this phrase, it said, um, when you use what God and nature provides you for healing, like it's free, but everything else comes at a cost. And Rockefeller figured that out quickly. And he created modern medicine to play God. And I think you're right. Anytime you play God, it's going to be subpar to what the natural order of things is. It's never going to, it's never going to be as good and it's going to create these loops and it's all, it's going to be more expensive too in the long Mm. run because things that are you're meant to use and you're meant to utilize are free and they are a part of the world, you know, Mm. um, they aren't something that can be bought. And yeah. And I think that infertility is a huge medical loop. And I think that hormonal health is a huge medical loop because we live in a society where you are put on birth control at age 14, 13 to either regulate your hormones or to be preventative so that when you have start having sex, you don't get pregnant or or, help your acne or or help your acne. Like almost every girl goes through a period where a doctor is either successfully prescribed them this or has tried to force it on her or her parents. And then you go through this period where you're on it for sometimes like 10 to 15 years and then you finally get off of it and you're ready to have kids and then it's like oh well your hormones are out of balance i wonder why yeah and and then it's like oh no it could never be birth control oh you're crazy if you think that you're a crazy woman this means that you have another syndrome it might be this syndrome like no maybe it's just because you made me take this drug the synthetic pill every day for 10 years yes like of course that's gonna be the reason why you're messed up now yes so then you're going in when you're in your like 30s or whatever and you're like okay I want to have a kid and they're like well how long have you been trying and we're like well I haven't started but automatically when you hit 34 they recommend just start with IVF that is what doctors are now saying most OBGYNs they don't even let you try a year with other methods and the success rate for 34 um to i think it was like 38 was 32 percent, and then it pretty much keeps going down in percentages until it's like three percent at age i think it was like what 45 or 44 mm-hmm. and so okay 
maybe, maybe if this was like a 90% success rate, it should be offered right off the bat. But mm. you're telling me it's starting at a 32% success rate for someone in their mid thirties. And that's still your go-to solution to help someone work mm. through their fertility issues. Like to me, that is a medical loop and it is a huge money bucket. Remember we added it all up in the average IVF to have one child and this isn't even giving birth to that. This is just the conceiving of the child was what? You still have to carry it for nine months after that. $90,000? Yeah. So basically over a college tuition and, and to contrast with a college tuition, with a college tuition, you know what you're getting. Like it's pretty, it's a guaranteed product that you're purchasing. Yeah, correct? it's still a scam, but. It, yeah. it is also a scam, but it's a lot more tangible than this what if 30% possibility of getting pregnant. Like what's, how, how is that? I, I would not be able to have confidence with that. And I would feel absolutely horrible throwing basically a hundred grand down the toilet after probably all the money you spent on birth control for the 10 years leading up to that. And I know that I, I, we're not trying to sound insensitive when we talk about this. I understand if people like struggle with infertility, that this is like a difficult thing to go through. And especially when you feel like you have no other options, like that you have to try this. But what I started looking into just at a very baseline level was that there are other things you can do. And there are doctors that talk about the health, increasing the health of your eggs, as opposed to focusing on the age. And there's things you can do mm. over a long period of time to build the health of your eggs so that they're more likely to get fertilized. A lot of these things are supplements. A lot of these things are like magnesium, um, iron, mm. um, diet, um, different things you can do over time to help your egg quality. And it's like, why aren't we talking about that? Or at least like educating women on that so they can start that earlier on so they don't have to be as stressed about the aging yeah. aspect Once of again, it, you being know? proactive as opposed to reactive and, yeah. and really maximizing the time during the window where you have it, especially when, in regards to like reproductive health because yeah, it's a finite amount of time in that window that you have to really take it seriously and try as much as you can to ensure whatever it is you want to ensure with with having kids or not so yeah and and IVF can cause not only that issue that we talked about but it also you have 152 percent um more likely to have sudden kidney failure whereas <laughs> if you have a, a natural a natural conception you are less than one percent um, and then you're 65% more likely to have abnormal health rhythm. And again, I'm not saying that, um, I I'm just saying that there should be informed consent. And I don't understand why we don't look at all of this holistically when we're discussing people's options. And I feel like most women don't know that this is on the table. And I think that a lot of people view things like this as, oh, like, it's a guaranteed thing that will work. So I can keep, like, I can do whatever I, I can feed my body, whatever food that I want. I don't have to like focus on this myself because there'll be this cop out thing that can help me later down the road. But if it, if it was only helping you at 32% and then it's causing all these other issues, like you should know about that before mm -hmm. you just think that it's there as a backup option, you know? Mm -hmm. that's and that's sad. Point. I like, that's sad that people think that. And I even thought that I didn't know any of this, you I know, didn't either. Yeah. I mean, it's not, 
fun coming across all of these new sets of information that just reveal more and more sort of corruption or yeah. inefficiencies. Well, I think it's the kickbacks too that the doctors get from the fertility mm-hmm. treatment centers. Yeah. You know? Who knows? Maybe the, that entire, maybe the entire purpose of hooking everyone on birth control is to lead to this. That's true. Because there's more loop. money. There's more money to be, you know, to be dug up with IVF treatments. But the only way to ensure that people need IVF is to have them on birth control. Mm. Maybe that's yeah the basis of it. And our food. It's really interesting. And the plastics in the food. Because, and everything because and that, mental health <laughs> did you did you watch that episode of joe rogan where the woman the the doctor comes on and talks about like the taint size mm-hmm. of yeah. the animals oh my gosh that was so interesting fertility mm-hmm. that was another loop yeah no and then she was talking about well what was the exa- what was the animal that she was talking monkeys, about monkeys i think or something similar to humans but basically if you haven't seen this episode or like, I, I would recommend checking it out, but this doctor's entire research research was on taint sizes of animals and specifically male animals. And that the smaller the tank size, the more likely you are to be infer- infertile or have like not a good like sperm quality or count Mm -hmm. and that this translated into human infertility and that basically since the introduction of plastics like in our ecosystem and our food everything that since 1973 we've seen a huge decrease in male infertility and it has to do with the taint sizes which I found really interesting and something else that birth control causes is it affects male infertility too because of Mm. the birth control getting put into our water supply through urination of females and the production of it and so that is lowering testosterone levels which is also affecting male testosterone and infertility Mm. so it's all just like a constant inner loop and like you're saying it then feeds the infertility Mm-hmm. business which that wasn't a business so wait you know. so from female urine what exactly is in the urine coming from the birth control pill is it a, a aspect of the hormones I think it's a hormone okay gotcha yeah. oh that's awful but i mean that totally makes sense do you want to talk about some of the food stuff that we found with mm-hmm. the different pesticides and stuff like that? I do, yeah. Um, I just wanted to preface, though, and I think this is a good segue into talking about the food because food, I mean, food is so such a massive aspect of this whole topic because um, we are what we eat, you know? Everyone's heard that saying. But I kind of just wrote down a few tips for just very high-level tips that are tangible that you can remember to help sort of train your mind to stay out of these loops and avoid them when you see new ones. Um, First one, which I think we mentioned already in this episode, is just overall be proactive instead of reactive. Um, Don't treat symptoms as a red flag, actually treat symptoms as, oh, I'm really glad that my body is telling me this, whether it's you have a headache or whether, you know, you have a scab, like, yeah, it's, it's not fun to deal with discomfort from symptoms, but be grateful because when you know that something's wrong, like you 
can then use that as incentive to help figure it out or help heal it or help treat it if you can. Um, so that's one of them. The second is basically to just vet everything. I mean, unfortunately nowadays you cannot trust Google. I mean, Google's information is so manipulated and catered. Honestly, I do not look up any health (laughs) advice on Google. Um, that is not the resource. Yeah. Yeah. DuckDuckGo is a great resource. Honestly, TikTok too, because TikTok is a search engine in itself. And from what I've been able to tell, it seems like they have a blend of, um, I guess non. If there's so much content, it's almost still. It's like almost so much content that it cannot be regulated. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I think that that is good. So you can watch and look at multiple pieces of content and then sort of formulate your opinion based off of um, a couple, as opposed to just looking at one thing and mm-hmm. taking it at face value. And then also, and this segues into conversation about food, is try to become a label reader. Um, obviously we don't know every type of ingredient sometimes we don't, sometimes there's certain root vegetables that we've never even heard of and, and are, you know, isolated to one specific part of the world. So sometimes you, you don't know every ingredient. So when that happens, try to also look that up before choosing to buy something, because I think we're so like packaging, packaging design has evolved so much for our, you know, everyday counter grocery store products that they're so pretty and colorful and well-designed and they're advertising what they want us to believe about the product. But really you need to train your brain to ignore almost every other aspect of the product except for the ingredient list. Like that needs to be the most important thing that you look at and um, allow that to guide your decision making on whether you end up buying it or not. Um, so I've had to, I am continuing to, um, increase that habit of doing that. Um, at least when I go to the grocery store, I try obviously not to even buy as much processed food (laughs) as I can, but obviously there are things and most people do like certain processed foods and packaged foods. So, um, I think that's a good place to start. I love that. And I think that I mean, some something with grocery stores, it's like, okay, you go to a grocery store and most grocery stores, 90%, I'd say 85 to 90% of the food is <laughs> not food. It's, it's literally not real. It's not real food. And that food did not exist it's a synthetic ago and what's that app you should tell people about that app that you told me about that's really good for like Mm -hmm. if you don't understand ingredient like it'll read the ingredient list for you okay there's two the one especially for grocery store food is so i follow this guy his name is bobby approved and he has this app it's called bobby approved and he has basically just traveled the country he basically focuses on american grocery stores and has created a log of basically every single commercial product that you could buy at the grocery store, you know, types of almond milks and bars and cereals and oatmeal brands and literally everything. And basically just says if it's approved or not. Mm-hmm. Um, and he knows more than I've ever gathered from someone who produces content on this whole subject. He knows so much about ingredients. He knows what actually happens in a physiological sense with seed oils when you ingest seed. Oil. Like oh he gosh. really knows all of that. The seed oil thing is so- crazy. <laughs> They're that horrible. Might be one of the biggest <laughs> ingredients that is in so much food at grocery stores that I'm that I did not know until a year ago what a seed oil was. I obviously knew like what canola oil was, what peanut oil is, but I didn't understand like how horrible 
canola oil is for you compared to olive mm-hmm. oil. Well, I didn't even know canola was a seed. Like I obviously oh. knew what canola, canola oil was and what is it, it was like put into, but I didn't know that it, it was qualified under the category seed of seed oil. So yeah, see, canola oil is the worst. That's yeah. like top. And it's in and everything. high fructose corn syrup, although it's considered a syrup, I mean, that's like basically a type of seed oil too because corn, corn oil, corn syrup, like it's all coming from the same plant and yeah. highly, highly processed. So... Well, and there's, there's ingredients. So if you look at um, like McDonald's ingredients versus in the U.S. versus like the U.K., which are countries that are, speak the same language, are as close as you could get in terms of culture, even though the cultures are different. Their ingredient list is so much shorter and so much different in the U.K. versus here. And you can taste the difference like in the French fries, in things like M&Ms, in their candy. Mm. And so what does that tell you? It tells you that we have a false sense of what food is and what it isn't because we outsource our trust in what is edible and what is not edible to the FDA. Mm -hmm. And the FDA is bought out by whoever these huge corporations are. Mm -hmm. And so these corporations are dictating what we put into our bodies, essentially. And we think that we, we trust that, oh, we can go to a grocery store and everything's safe, everything's been regulated. And yeah, maybe something's not poisonous, maybe you aren't gonna die immediately but over time you will have health issues yeah and and how they still have credibility at this point given that the obesity rate is almost 50 percent yeah it is mind-boggling to me why are we still (laughs) putting our trust in these organizations that are i mean they're behind all of these horrible you know health conditions just skyrocketing increasing in basically every measurement so and 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 you're always like once you have it it's harder to reverse it um and it's easier to be preventative and i feel like you throw up your hands it's always about treatment it's never about why is this happening like it's not you know it's always about treatment because there's money to be made with treatment there's no money like you said there's no money to be preventative Mm -hmm. so the more you can understand about food the more and water and hormones and birth control and all these things, mm-hmm. the less problems you're going to have later on, the less chance you're going to have to be faced with infertility, mm-hmm. the less chance you're going to be faced with diabetes, with um, heart issues, with cancer, et cetera. Mm-hmm. If, you, if you're educated up front, and this is what like should be 101. Yeah, that's the easiest thing to do. Okay, also the second app that I wanted to point out um, isn't food geared. It's more product and I guess you could say like beauty product even oriented. It's called Think Dirty. And that basically is the same sort of setup where they are approving products based on their ingredient list and how they were made. Um, And that, I mean, that's a whole other category of things, consumables that we purchase that we consume, right? Yeah, it's not through the mouth, but it's typically, you know, stuff we put on our skin and in our hair and the sunscreen that we spray on our bodies and, you know, even like tampons. Like there are things that we put into our bodies that are having a very um, near close exposure to our cells and to what makes us us biologically. And so that, that needs to be something that people are also aware of. Yeah. And there are a lot of products. I mean, I would argue that the, the ingredient list on like some beauty products are like longer than anything you could buy at the store. Yeah. And all of them are synthetic. Well, and, and what the heck is that? No, you bring, that's actually a great point because um, someone told me 
my friend Chloe, our friend Chloe told me, she's like, you should not put anything on your skin that you wouldn't put into your mouth. Yeah, because that's a good it, point. Think about it. When you put some, like put lotion, put sunscreen on your skin, it's going right into your bloodstream. Yeah. So it's like, yeah, you're not consuming it, but it's still going into your body and can create toxins. Yeah. Um, and lotion, as an example, mm-hmm. literally goes everywhere. Yeah. Like say you're putting a toxin in your body, it's just going into Some your stomach and your digestive tract. Yeah. Yeah. That's covering your entire surface area. And what's the biggest organ in the body? You know, your epidermis, which is your skin. Mm-hmm. I mean, that is. Botox, horrible. I don't. I don't know much about Botox, to be honest, in terms yeah. of like the chemicals in it. But I would assume it's not good <laughs> <Great>. for you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I know. And in terms of food, I think for me, what's so frustrating is that we've been told like, oh, gluten is just bad. Like all, like all carbs are bad. Or like whenever we do have health advice, I feel like it's very generalized as opposed to, okay, why are there more people that are gluten intolerant here versus Europe? It's not like they're not eating bread in Europe. They're eating plenty of pasta, plenty of bread, plenty of carbohydrates. (laughs) So what is going on? Well, what's going on is that what, how are, what is on our carbs like what is on our wheat and here we have more complex like Mm -hmm. carbs and we use um it's it's basically called like we don't use like a natural yeast um which is typically seen in um like sourdough or breads that are low in fat Mm -hmm. that don't contain like any like cholesterol or whatever and natural yeast actually maximizes um the availability of vitamins and minerals and fiber in the wheat but this synthetic yeast that gets used a lot in american products has done the opposite where it's causing issues it's not your body doesn't know how to break it down it doesn't have any nutritional benefit Mm -hmm. to it Mm -hmm. um so it's basically just like a filler food Mm -hmm. You know? Yeah, no, I mean, it's that's horrible. Think of like white bread. I would assume it's in tons of store-bought breads and loaves you can buy, even the ones that say they're whole wheat or whole grain. They probably have traces of that. Um, and even I've noticed, especially with like cracker brands, the first ingredient is always enriched wheat flour. Mm-hmm. Basically what the word enriched means, and I think that they've strategically chosen this word enriched because it sounds, oh, enriched it means it's Empowered. nutritional. Yeah. It's packed with nutrients that are good for me. But actually I think that just means it's been like even more processed mm-hmm. than regular non-tampered with wheat is. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, beware of that. Um, there are also a lot, a lot of other, I think, like modifiers to ingredients that are similar to that word enriched that basically just mean they're hyper-processed. Yeah, yeah. And then and what happens in the process, like when we say things are processed, a lot of times when we're like throwing ingredients and mixing them in, you know, these massive pots and like mixing them with water or like other, you know, liquids or oils, like some I think what happens is the nutrients, like the macro micronutrients and vitamins yeah. are extracted from that. Like they, you know, they don't have a stake in the game anymore. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, that's why we need to um, help educate people on what even the word process means. Yeah. I want to start making my own bread. Yeah, me too. <laughs> we need to do that. Yeah. 
We'll do that, and we'll post some photos for you guys. We should do that. Yeah. That would be fun. Yeah, we could, like, a highly inspired bread recipe. Ooh, yes. And, like, like a highly real inspired, bread. Or, and then, like, a highly inspired, like, supplement list of our, like, supplements that we take, mm-hmm. um, different things like that. I am into that. Um, do you want to talk about uh, the pesticide stuff really quickly on, like, vegetables mm-hmm. and, and things like agriculture? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think... I think everybody has some sort of gauge on what like a pesticide is, right? Yeah. I think we've done some educating of the public. GMOs, yeah, GMOs. Yeah. I, would, I would say most people know what the word organic means or what they think it means. Um, I think unfortunately though, there is a presence of, even though products have that FDA approved organic label on them, it might not mean it's perfectly organic. Um, and I've heard from one of my doctors down in Phoenix that um, a food might qualify as, as organic if the food as it's grown out of the ground wasn't tampered with, like after it began growing, but the soil still may have been tampered with. Like mm-hmm. the soil may contain toxins and pesticides, which then actually grow still grow into the food, as we've mm-hmm. talked about before. It's like a loop that is a cycle and things from the base can kind of be passed on. So um, that's something that I want to do more research into. And I'm sure as we continue talking about this, I'll report back with some more findings on that. But I, I mean, yeah, as we have stated, we don't fully trust these organizations to begin with. So should we trust their labels? Like just because it says organic, does that mean it's perfectly organic and mm. no pesticides were involved? Like, I don't know. Well, it's the same thing with eggs. Like you have to be really careful with eggs. It's honestly better to like either have your own chickens or get it at a farmer's market because even like the cage-free eggs, all they mean is that the chickens are still inside. They just don't have gates on the cages or like mm. free range. That's it's still like they still might be eating corn. Like you have to make sure that it has all the certifications. And even then that yolk, you can literally see how high quality the egg is based off the yolk color. The color yeah. Yeah. And so it's like, you want it as orange as possible. Mm-hmm. The yolk. And so honestly, like going to a farmer's market is kind of your best bet. But again, it's like, it sucks because this stuff is so it's, it's more expensive to do things the right way. And we've created this like, market that is I would say it's not real it's not real because we the government gives subsidies to farmers that use GMOs they give subsidies to a lot of corn um farming like a lot of corn production a lot Mm. of wheat production so they they target what groups that they'll give like subsidies to and so there's oversaturation of those ingredients so then there's more production of these corporations using things like corn syrup and stuff so then of course that price is going to be cheaper because if it's cheaper to create the product then the price will be cheaper and the healthier stuff is going to seem inflated compared to the cheap food and then we're in this cycle of like only people that make more money can get better Mm -hmm. quality food and trapping it's like another trap um why wouldn't a farmer you know, take up that offer to make more money just by implementing this one little thing that they're being told to do. Yeah. I mean, if I were, I, I mean, yeah. And I, I wish that they stuck to their values a little bit more. Well, I some do, they, but I mean, when you have Bill Gates owning most of the farmland, 
it's not like that's your local farmer. Like that's a huge <laughs> organization. <laughs> a monolith. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and the, the specific toxin that I wanted to talk about was, um, it, what is it? The, the, the glitis glyphosate glyphosate. Yeah. So this one is really important because it creates a lot of inflammatory, like disorders that you can have, um, specifically obesity. And there's a lot of evidence to suggest that it, it decreases the nutrients of magnesium, zinc, and iron. And so many Americans are deficient in those Mm -hmm. nutrients. And so, yeah, we're not starving because we're eating food. We're actually having the opposite problem, but our food isn't nutritious. And instead, most people have to take supplements. I take all three of those supplements. Mm-hmm. And I eat relatively healthy-ish. So, like, I can't even imagine someone who doesn't know that they're deficient in those supplements, mm-hmm. what they're going through. And then, you know, magnesium is going to help with a ton of stuff. It helps with bone health. It helps with reducing disease, inflammation, mm-hmm. brain health, thi- like, thyroids. Yeah, Zinc these are critical is nutrients. immune system. Iron is everything. I mean, mm. these are just, these are basic stuff that you need to be getting. You need to have them at, at some level in order to survive. I mean, that sounds like this is a double-edged sword because not only is it creating inflammatory problems, but it's also detracting from your nutritional health too. So it's kind of like two negative, you know, effects at one, in one. Do you think, and we could do a whole episode on this, and I want to wrap this up, but do you think that part of our problem here is that as a society, things that are supposed to be vital to our instinctual survival and, um, okay, when you think about food and water, uh, or food, like food is something that isn't supposed to be about pleasure it's supposed to be about nutrients and survival and feeding yourself. Yeah, so it's supposed to be about optimization yes. so then we can perform at the optimal level. It's not supposed okay. to be something that we're surrounding all of our focus on mm-hmm. and we should not be prioritizing food compared to other activities that we could be doing in our yes. in our lives. And then like sex, for example, is supposed to be like at its core, it's supposed to be about like reproduction and like having like your next generation of kids and having them be like super healthy and super fit Mm -hmm. and being able to like have this like family unit that is growing stuff. Mm -hmm. And as we've become less connected with our roots and we've become more of like this developed society we've disconnected I feel like the core functions of these things that have been a part of our DNA since our ancestors Mm -hmm. that are so ingrained in how the order of the world should work Mm -hmm. and we're so focused on um what is going to make me have pleasure whether that's food whether that's sex whether that's something else Mm -hmm. drugs Mm -hmm. alcohol whatever like Mm -hmm. so we don't we're not thinking about like what is best for me? We're thinking about what will give me pleasure mm-hmm. and not saying that we shouldn't have lives where we splurge a little bit and have nice things and enjoy whatever, but mm-hmm. it, it, it needs to be coupled with not mm-hmm. forgetting the core purpose of something. Yeah. I think, I think that the activities of, you know, eating and having sex, like those are always going to be pleasurable mm-hmm. in some way, shape or form. And I think that there's an evolutionary reason why we do 
achieve pleasure from those activities because mm-hmm. we need it for survival. If it wasn't pleasurable, why do we ever go out and eat? Why yeah. do we ever go and hunt and find food to eat to survive? Yeah. Like it does need to be pleasurable in some sense, but we have certainly forgotten that they aren't only that. And I think that we could certainly get better just with being more mindful about it and trying to keep it tamed and, and be grateful in a way and kind of regulate it so that we're more mindfully knowing, oh, like I'm eating, like I'm so grateful. Like, let me really look at what I'm eating. Let me analyze it. And same with like when you're having sex or like it's not just something that you're entitled to. Mm-hmm. It's something that um, I think – yeah, I think more implementing more mindfulness would, would probably help for both of those aspects. Yeah, for sure. Um, uh, I guess also moving on, I because I know we're kind of, <laughs> there's so many things there's to so talk about with this talk topic. About. We want to talk about like, what, kitchen supplies, allergies. <laughs> well, so I just want to. process, like so many things. <laughs> all Bouncing all over the place, yeah. Um, well, I wanted to talk about, because obviously we've mentioned money and how money is heavily just involved with just healthcare as a whole, like in food, in treatment, in surgery, in schooling, like literally you name it, it's somewhere, like money is everywhere. Um, But think about how many sort of sub types of companies that are also involved um, with the healthcare system, like insurance companies, you know, people who make these over-the-counter medicines like Advil and cough drops, like they would not exist at all if we all were better educated on health and didn't even need doctors to begin with. Yeah. Um, I'm not an advocate for like, we need to remove all doctors or anything like that. And I certainly don't want to remove all surgeons. And I really do think that one key area of healthcare that will, that I hope stays very strong and that I really respect is like just anything emergency medicine, medicine, like trauma, um, military and, you know, like war related, um, injury like we we really need surgeons who are able to save lives given like really traumatic yeah you're in an emergency circumstances yes you're, you're bleeding you need an amputee exactly like, yeah. like at that point in time we're not recommending vitamin d <laughs> yeah. like we're, <laughs> no, we're, not, <laughs> we're not saying go eat you know well, freaking cassava root like yeah. we're we're we need stitches and needles yes. and we need to sew your leg back on yes but we're like, what we're talking about is specifically like um pharmaceuticals and things that are at what we call um like what is, what is it called like a long-term condition mm-hmm. like yeah. obesity or or something like that that it has happened because of your environment yeah like non-emergency and still very prevalent experiences that people are having with their health yes um like the slow burns of health conditions yes. and yes. the things that might not keep you up at night, but over a series of years have become worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. Like we're talking about those. And honestly, those are a lot harder to wrap your head around. It's harder to, to really, you know, stay disciplined when you're not really suffering with that horrible of a, sim- of a mm. symptom. Like if you have your leg coming off in the car, mm-hmm. like your adrenaline, like you are like, I know exactly what the problem is yeah. and I know what needs to be done to fix it. Whereas with, you know, say some every week, once a week migraine, you might not. I'll be like, I'll live with it. Exactly. Like, I'm fine. I'm good. And 
maybe that's, maybe your body's trying to tell you something. I think that symptoms like that, although it's uncomfortable, I think that it is very revelatory of, yeah, there's probably something going on. Mm-hmm. Um, or maybe you need to just make a slight tweak in your diet. Like sometimes it's even a fix could be that easy. Yeah. So, For and sure. that's actually an, an amazing thing. So I love that. That's yeah. awesome. What else? Well, there was, I feel like there's so much more that we wanted to talk about, but we want to get into everything. <laughs> no, um, I think we covered the the core the of baseline it. Baseline of yeah. it, yeah. So, um, well, guys, thank you so much for listening. We was as many topics on this channel. We continue to revisit them. We'll do a part two at some point. And um, yeah. I'm really glad, though. I feel like we gave justice to this overarching medical loops theme, um, and it's like super clean and crisp, like episode, like episode title. So we, yeah, we're just really grateful that you guys listened and um, hopefully we'll catch you very soon. Yes. Um, feel free to subscribe to our YouTube channel if you can um, like this video mm-hmm. and um, leave us some feedback. Hopefully you guys maybe decide to download those apps to help you vet, you know, your grocery products and your <laughs> toothpaste and everything, everything. else because <laughs> there's a lot that we buy on a regular basis yeah. and um, it's hard to do it all yourself so we recognize is, yeah that. and it's a full-time job and if you want to chat with us one-on-one about some yeah. of these things and if you have any questions like we would be happy to um chat with you so yeah, yeah well thank you guys thank you guys <laughs> see you later have a good one